0: With Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel.
0: tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible week. Heading into what is going to be a monumentally important week. Weekend, I should say, of NBA basketball. Lots of seeding up in the air over the next three days. We're going to be going live, uh, or excuse me, we're going to have a video going up tomorrow morning that's going to be breaking down Friday night's games. And then on Sunday evening, we're going to be going live with Mr. Colin Cowherd to break down what should be a wild Sunday of NBA basketball. But today as a primer for that. We're going to be going over the 10 players you would best want heading into this playoff front. And I can think of nobody better to get into the nitty gritty of that list than our guy Carson, who we have on the show pretty regularly. We're going to have him on and we're going to break down our top 10 playoff players. Carson, how's it going, man?
1: I'm doing great, Jason, and I'm very interested to see how this all shakes out for you, because I just came up with my own list for this a couple of days ago, and I think so much talent at the top of the league that it really kind of depends on what you value most. There could be a bunch of variety, I could imagine, between our two lists without it feeling totally crazy to me. So very interested in where you go with all this.
0: So the first question we, you and I were kind of hashing out before we actually got into this list Um, uh, before we actually started uh, recording was whether or not we were going to factor in Luka here. Now, I would say, uh, judging by the point spread, it would appear that the Chicago Bulls are going to rest their players against the Dallas Mavericks, which will put them in a good position to win their last two games because I think their Sunday game is against San Antonio. Um, however, Oklahoma City has... I can't remember exactly who it is. I think it's a, jazz, a matchup with the Jazz that they just won, and then they have one more game, and they play, I believe, at home against Memphis. And in theory, Memphis will probably be resting their players in that game. So I'd say there's a better-than-a-coin flip chance that Luka Doncic does not factor into this playoff run at all. However, even though I'm not sure that I would put him this far down um, heading into a playoff run where he had a more secure seed... I don't feel comfortable putting him ahead of anybody else on this list under the circumstances because I don't think he's been very good here in the last month or so. So I put Luca at 10th. And again, wow. when we when we when we break down what he brings to the playoff stage, he obviously brings otherworldly shot making, otherworldly playmaking. He's that half court surgeon that I've always been a huge fan of in the nba especially on the playoff stage when teams start to switch more and his ability to attack smaller players and generate quality shots his weaknesses doesn't defend obviously doesn't pay attention in the details of the game he gets beat on box outs and things like that all the time doesn't run back in transition and then i've really been unhappy with his attitude as of late um it feels like he's been pouting and again, like I get it. It's a discouraging situation with everything surrounding what happened to the Mavericks after the deadline. They traded the textbook case of the drop one athlete and then suddenly you dip below a certain, like, like absolute minimum of height and athleticism in the NBA. They lost to Orion Finney Smith and they fell apart. And I'm not a uh, Luca, I don't think. Again, I don't think it would have been enough. I don't think they would have won a series or or done any real damage in the NBA playoffs this year. However, Luca could have got him there. And he did it. And so for the time being, I'm I'm a big believer in winning being the the top thing that we factor in when we when we discuss these players. So call it a punishment, call it like a temporary little like, you know, penalty box or whatever it is. But even though I would probably put Luca higher, I have him at 10th right now.
1: I would have Luka a few spots higher. I'd have him at seven on this list. And I think that the reason for that is just that he is in arguably the most valuable archetype, which is, as you said, dominant playoff scorer, extremely versatile there, dominant playmaker who can elevate your team offense far beyond where your talent level would suggest that it should be. And he is legitimately one of the greatest offensive playoff performers we have ever seen. His playoff career stats are 32 and a half, nine and eight on 58% true shooting. And we have seen him every single time he's been there overperform even these incredibly high expectations we have, taking the Clippers to -to back-to-back battles when he was facing a massive talent deficit. And he was the best player probably in both those series. And then last year, obviously, elevating the Mavs to the Western Conference Finals, knocking off a 64-win Suns team with just this unbelievable offensive barrage. So I understand the issues with his defense, and I don't think he's quite as skilled as like a, a Steph Curry, a Nikola Jokic when you're talking about elevating team offense just because those guys don't need to single-handedly possess the ball every single possession to have a massive impact like Joka, uh, like Luka does. Jokic can mm-hmm. do so much with quick touches, playmaking Steph, just his gravity at all times when he's on the court. So that's why I'd have Luka below those guys if we're looking at the like all-offense, very little defense quotient but I do still think his offense is so valuable and he gets me into conversations that some of these other guys who may be better two way players may have had better home stretches this regular season. Just don't get me in because Luca is so dominant offensively.
0: Yeah, it goes beyond the, the defense stuff. There is a lack of versatility with Luca. Um, I want to cut him some slack because he's in the middle of a season and he's incorporating a new player but like I'd like to see him, over the course of the next few years, demonstrate the ability to be an involved offensive cog without being the heliocentric guy. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's something that I'd like to see him uh, see him work on. But like, at the end of the day, um, his game has been proven to translate to this level um, between the two Clipper series over the previous two years and then him taking uh, the Suns out last year and getting to within three wins of the NBA Finals you'd be lying to yourself if you acted like Luca's game doesn't translate to the playoffs or contribute to winning on that stage. It's just, yes, it's plain and simple. There are players that are better than him. So at number nine, and again, I want to I be clear, this is not the same as like a traditional player rankings. Like to me, a traditional player rankings is like a hierarchy in the league that is a combination of like what you bring during an 82 game regular season, what you bring in terms of your championship pedigree, what you bring in terms of of um your playoff resume recently but also like like with a with an eye towards the future and what we can expect from you and and like to me it's like a hierarchy that's a factor of a bunch of different things this list is intended to be for just this playoff run based on how guys are playing right now so it's a totally different type of list but at number nine i have jason tatum and you know obviously his three-point shooting bumps up his efficiency from a scoring standpoint to a level where you look at the points per game and you look at the true shooting percentage and you can't deny that this is a scoring machine that generates points at a high rate. To me, he's the closest thing we have to like a modern James Harden in types in terms of just the pure scoring results. Obviously he's not in the same stratosphere as a playmaker, but it's one of those guys where every day you go back and you look at the box score and he's like, Oh my gosh, he had 35 again on, you know, 16 shots or 17 shots or whatever it is, but it's his, he is, he's, uh, um, He's got a little bit of the grifts to get to the foul line now that he didn't used to have. He's consistently uh, tweaked his shot diet to take higher value shots. He's taken a lot of shots at the rim and a lot of shots above the break at the three point line and not a lot in the middle. And it's resulting in some efficiency. Um, I, the biggest thing that freaks me out with Jason Tatum, a couple things, decision-making he's actually a better playmaker than he gets credit for. And the Celtics are at their best when he's passing the basketball um, but he does have a tendency to go through these long extended stretches where his decision making is poor. And he usually Jason Tatum and his offensive approach to me is the big like bellwether for how the Celtics are playing as a team. And then lastly, just a lack of shot making versatility. So like his, his go to moves are so rigid, and there's only a few of them. And as a result, like he becomes a little predictable at the end of games. Whereas like Jalen Brown has this real creativity and audacity to his shot making that I think helps him thrive on those stages. And a lot of times I think Tatum becomes predictable and guardable at the end of games. So that decision making piece and and that and that, you know, like in terms of pure production, he belongs on this list. But I don't think he has the versatility really on both ends of the floor to be higher than the guys above him.
1: This is exactly where I have Tatum, and I think that you've laid out a lot of the strengths and weaknesses of his game really well. If you look at him, he's in the archetype of like, ideally, if we were to get the best version of Jason Tatum, that value would be like a 2019 Kawhi Leonard. But the reality is there are just a few areas in which he's not on that level. Very good defensively, not quite at that level in terms of impact. But more importantly, it's what you laid out. It's the overall offensive inconsistency if it's a question of being heavily reliant on that three-point shot, creating it for himself off the dribble, which at times does leave him, if it's at times issues with decision-making, playmaking, and just the reality that he doesn't have the sort of relentlessness, I'm going to get to my spot, and that spot might be 12 feet away, and I'm just going to hit my fadeaway that I trust myself to make it a 60% clip, that like a Kawhi Leonard does. So there's a difference in terms of consistency, ultimately efficiency on the biggest stage, I think. I think that this is where you have to have Tatum, probably in that 9 or 10 range, The only reason I don't have him at 10 on my list, honestly, is because of availability. He has been quite consistently available. But if he were in that true top tier, the Celtics would have won the title last year, and they would be clearly my title favorite this year. They've had the most talented rosters, but the reality is his inconsistencies has held them back in that really high stakes arena.
0: That's a, that it's really that simple. Like he would have won last year and he'd be the runaway favorite this year if he was one of those guys because Boston has the best team. It, it's literally that simple to me. I, uh, I have at number eight, Kawhi. And you you pointed out something that I that I think is so vitally important because Kawhi and Tatum are similar archetypes in a lot of ways. Like they've both kind of come along as playmakers to the point where you can at least count on them to make the right reads when they're in certain situations, and they bring that efficient scoring, right? But the part that you got to, and this is where points per possession is actually kind of uh, a, a bad indicator of just the overall scoring versatility of a player. Doesn't mean that points per p- possession doesn't have value. It's just it doesn't tell the whole story. So Jason Tatum on a points per possession basis on different shot types is going to have a similar type of efficiency to Kawhi Leonard. If you look at it like isolation, high pick and roll, all these different things. But because he relies a lot on above the break threes and obviously getting to the rim has a lot more to do with the schematic of a five man unit and spacing and, and, and that sort of thing. Than it, than actually like a, a reliable possession by possession type of, of result. You pointed out perfectly. Kawhi has these moves that he can go to. That's like okay, it's only worth two points, but like if I get to my spot, I'm hitting this sixty percent of the time, and that's that's so immensely valuable when you get to the uh, the the late game playoff scenarios. Because again, even if Tatum's like, oh, I'm hitting this pull up three at thirty eight percent, that's great. That means you're going to get, you know, roughly 1.2, 1.3 points per possession, right? Awesome. Here's the problem. You don't get to take that shot at the end of the game and just notch 1.2 points to the scoreboard. No, you're going to miss two of them before you make one, maybe, or maybe you make it. But from a percentage standpoint, there's a better than fifty percent chance that possession's ending in nothing. And if you need a bucket on that possession, or it's a rescue possession at the end of a clock, having a go-to move that is an extremely efficient shot, like Kawhi's mid-range pull-up jump shots over both shoulders, or out of the post over, uh, or out of the post over both shoulders, or going right or left in pick and roll, those are just immensely valuable shots um, in the grind of NBA playoff games. So. The 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 big weaknesses for me with Kawhi, health, obviously, like this dude, the last time we saw him healthy heading into a playoff run, broke down in the second round. Um, he relies a lot on pull-up shooting. So if he does start to miss, he's not a guy that gets to the rim super consistently. And then from a playmaking standpoint, there's a little bit of a ceiling there. But right now I have Kawhi at eight.
1: I would have Kawhi even a little bit higher at number six. I think he is an all-time playoff performer. And I think that his game just... Seamlessly translates the dominant wing scoring, the solid playmaking, the dominant defense that we can see from him on that playoff stage. Last four times he's been to the playoffs, he's averaged over 29 a night on 51, 38, 89 splits. And (laughs) as he's worked his way into full health this year, he's been the normal Kawhi that we expect. He's been that dominant guy. So I agree with you. The availability is a concern, but there is no doubt that when we see him there, 2017, right? He's a different player since then, but he was kicking the Warriors, what some people consider the greatest team ever. He was kicking their ass after he had just had two incredible series before that. Both Clippers years. He was great with the exception of like that finishing stretch against Denver. And then he got hurt. And Toronto was one of the best individual playoff runs of this century. So I just believe in that value. I think that offensively, he is every bit as good as he's ever been. And I'm going to bet on that translating because we've seen it translate with him every single time he's been there. And some of these other guys who may have had more impressive regular seasons can't say that in the same way that he can.
0: Well, uh, what bums me out, though, is that team is not very good. and and, and he's headed for a quick exit. And it's just really yeah. unfortunate. Um, number seven, LeBron James. Ooh. I still think when it comes to this playoff stage, and I, and the reason why I have him down low is a couple of things his health obviously is a big mm-hmm. question mark. Um uh, there's just not a guarantee that he'll be available throughout this entire playoff run. And then also he's having his worst jump shooting season since 2015. And that is just such an important part of his. Game. Now he has shot the jump shot well since returning. Uh, just a, just in the last couple of games, I want to say he's like seven for his last sixteen from three, and uh, particularly in the second half against the Clippers the other night, he really had everything going. Uh, but it's been a little bit of an issue this year, and that I think lowers my confidence in him a little bit. But LeBron James to me is the there's a reason why LeBron in his career has been the most dependably great playoff player in my opinion in NBA history, even in the LeBron MJ debate. Regardless of who you think is better, and I think Michael Jordan has definitively had a more dominant NBA career in terms of the way he per- performed relative to his peers. But LeBron James is far more dependably great because Michael Jordan was reliant on shot making to a certain extent. And he had bad playoff games. He'd You'd have a game where he goes seven for 30. You know what I mean? LeBron James... I've never seen a player in my life where if it was a big playoff game, you could count on him to play extremely well. And I think it's because he has the perfect combination of tools. When you combine his ability to score at all three levels and to attack matchups, which is so important at this level, he is a top-tier surgical half-court playmaker. And defensively, he's incredibly versatile. Yeah, he's not the same defensive player in terms of consistency that he was when he was younger, but we've seen this time and again, and we saw it in 2020, and he's done it even just since returning um, uh, this year. When he's engaged defensively, he is still a very impactful defender that can succeed and help that can protect the rim a little bit, that can guard on the perimeter. LeBron, I believe, brings all that versatility to the table. And as a result, he's he is capable of impacting the game in so many different ways that if, hey, my jump shot's not falling, cool, he's going to go 8 for 22, he's going to have 27, 9, and 8, and he's going to be a net positive on both ends of the floor. That's his bad game. And, and that then it's like if the jumpers start falling, now we're looking at, 35, nine and seven in a totally different type of game. So like, again, the, it's the health and his jump shots a little finicky this year, but I still think, I, I still think on this playoff stage, he's every bit as good as any of these guys.
1: I'm really surprised. I have LeBron higher than you, Jason, which I did How about not that? expect. <laughs> I think that the reality is we have never not seen LeBron James translate to the playoffs since he became that reliable, solid pull-up jump shooter. Obviously you have the 2011 finals, but that was an entirely different player. I think that if you look at the combination of physical imposition, getting to the rim at will, genius playmaking, the only thing keeping him from being a bonafide top five guy to me is the inconsistency of his jump shot this year. But, At the end of the day, I have faith in LeBron shooting at a respectable level in the playoffs. I think that this regular season is probably more of an aberration than his overall body of work where he's consistently been that 35-36% range from three. And then I just think there's a control of the game. There's an all-around offensive dominance and the ability to be at least not exploitable defensively, like, for example, Luca, who has this unbelievable offensive value but can get picked on on that end more than LeBron. I just can't bet against it. I mean, mm. he's still putting up his efficient 30 a night, having a massive impact on winning while having a horrible pull-up jump shooting season, while having had some health issues. Mm-hmm. He's 38, but he is still, to me, immortal. So I have him in my five spot.
0: Interesting, yeah. So to be clear, like, if I'm going into a first-round series and LeBron's healthy, and I know he's going to be available for that game, mm-hmm. just, just because of how big of a fan I am of his game, I'm always going to be looking at that going like, LeBron might be the best player in, on the floor in this game. Mm-hmm. Like that is such a firm possibility in every matchup, but going into a, a two month long playoff run, right. y- you would be foolish to bet on him over some of the guys above it. So number mm-hmm. six, I have Nikola Jokic. Um, strengths, obviously outstanding playmaking and play finishing. Uh, his efficiency is just hard to even fathom. I mean, what he's uh, pushing 70% true shooting this year. Right the the big thing there's two things that worry me with jokic obviously defensive versatility i actually think when he's really locked in he can be an average rim protector which is enough to to be fine defensively uh, but in in the versatility uh, department with with the way that teams are going to try to pull him away from the rim obviously that's a weakness and then i also get a little bit worried with jokic as it pertains to aggression so like he reminds me a little bit of early lebron where when the game calls for him to just go make his own shots, sometimes he can be a little bit too much of an offensive engine that's just trying to create shots for his teammates instead of doing the Joel Embiid thing, which is like I'm Joel freaking Embiid, you can't guard me. The next five possessions, I'm gonna shoot over your shoot over the top of you. You know what I mean? And it's not that he can't do that, because obviously, like when we look at it, his post-up scoring is the very best in the league. Basically he does have that ability, but it's, it's more of a mentality thing for me. I think he, I think he struggles with identifying when the team needs him to just shoot every time down the floor. Um, So that's why I have him at six right now.
1: The one thing that I will say is that I think we have seen Jokic get that a lot more on the playoff stage than he might on your average regular season night. Of course, this has been with abysmal backcourt talent in the last two years, but his last two postseasons, he's been over 30 points a night very efficiently. So I do think he gets it a bit more on that stage. And the reality to me is that he's the best offensive basketball player in the world. And so that, to me, has to put him in my top four. But the different the differentiator for me between him and my two and three spots is his exploitability defensively because it's not just that he's a below average defender it is the fact that he's playing the most important defensive position and it's just easier to involve a center in any action right bring him up into pick and roll just attack him at the rim and challenge him as a rim protector so that knocks him down for me I still do feel like six is too low though because we've seen Jokic lift his team to be a top five playoff offense every single time that he's been there. And the only time that we've seen them with the kind of playoff talent in these last few years that you could expect to even win a series when that roster wasn't as talented as this year, but in the bubble, they went to the Western Conference Finals. They beat a Clippers team that was clearly more talented and Jokic was out of this world. In the last two years, individually, offensively, he's been everything that you could have hoped for. So I just think That offensive value, the fact that he's proven that that translates clearly is something that, for example, a Joel Embiid has not done in the playoffs. It is something that an Anthony Davis can't claim to have because he can't be that reliable number one every single night offensively who will make you a lead on that end. And so I do think that Jokic should be a little bit higher than this. I get the defensive concerns, but he's so great offensively, so monumentally great that I have him at my four spot.
0: And again, it's about like, this list is splitting hairs like the guy all the guys Mm -hmm. that i have ahead of him are so insanely good i think there's one you'll probably disagree with which is my number five anthony davis Mm -hmm. so um when i was thinking about his strengths the first thing i put down is just physical tools and i just want obviously we can go like the play finishing the rim protection all these different things but anthony davis to me is the number one athletic wrecking ball in this playoff field With what he can do defensively, protecting the rim and switching out onto the perimeter, I I actually believe, even though I think Giannis deserves to be called the best defensive player alive because of what he actually does on a nightly basis and his availability, that's his crown. I actually think Anthony Davis has the highest defensive ceiling in the NBA. I believe that when Anthony Davis is at his best, Nobody can protect the rim while also coming up high out of a drop coverage, while also switching, blitzing, rotating, everything that he does. Nobody can do what Anthony Davis does. It blows up NBA offenses. I've actually never seen a defensive player do to an NBA team what Anthony Davis did to the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals in 2020. He absolutely and completely devastated their offense to the point where they they did not know what to do. And that was an NBA Finals team. And then on the offensive end of the floor, say what you want to say. Uh, obviously, there's some limitations there and there's no doubt that he's not the same offensive player as someone like Jokic or someone like Embiid. But you're going to get 26. Uh, you're going to get uh, you know, high 50% shooting. And on any given night, he can go for 40, 45 points if he's got his touch going on a handful of his particular shots that he leans on. I This to me is the textbook playoff translatability quotient. No one in the world would take Anthony Davis over Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid. With what they can do to raise a team's floor over the course of a season because of their higher offensive ceiling, they are better options to build your franchise around. But when the ball gets tossed up, in the NBA finals and it's the Western conference finals uh, or it's in one of those late round playoff series against an elite team, what he does translates to that level in such a visceral way that it like, it's, it's hard to describe, but it's just like a sheer force of nature type of thing that, that to me increases his playoff impact to a level that, that very few guys in the league can actually reach. There's a case that he's the best guy in this setting because like he was better than LeBron through that entire 2020 run, basically until until late game situations where LeBron's half court surgery became the value piece. But he was the best player in the bubble, basically, in terms of his overall impact on winning. I think his I think his injury history has turned people away from him in a lot of different ways. But I think I think Anthony Davis. It hit, there's a, such a huge gap between his ceiling and his actual consi- level of consistency, yeah. but you could argue his ceiling is higher than everybody. And that's why I have him at number five.
1: It's interesting. I think that AD is a tough guy to rank, but I think that for me, the issue is with the offensive consistency with the playmaking limitations, with the fact that as liable as he is to go for 35, he is to go for 17. He might only take eight shots in a game. And I just think there's a burden offensively on a lot of these other guys that AD has not had to bear because he has LeBron. And so that allows to cover up for some of his limitations. Because when he can be the best defensive player in the world and this awesome second option offensively, it's like, yeah, AD is unbelievable. But a lot of guys are single-handedly asked to elevate their offenses to being elite, which is what gets their team into those elite conversations. And so that combined with availability moves AD down a bit for me. I think that bubble AD was like the best version of him we could ever possibly hope to see unless he shoots that well from three again this year. And still, I think that push come to shove, LeBron was the more valuable player. The LeBron was the better player. And that's just an archetype thing. If you are that great perimeter initiator who can also defend, especially, it's just more valuable if you're that great offensive engine. And so even compared to a guy like Kawhi, the reason I would lean him is because I just trust the offense more and I know he's going to have a high level impact defensively. So I don't have a problem with AD at five. I just am not sure that the consistency makes me comfortable having him up that high.
0: For sure and again this is the the reality is is like you are a product of a basketball team. And take away shot making from Giannis uh, like from his teammates, suddenly some of his offensive limitations come to the surface. There's no doubt that in a vacuum Anthony Davis is not the same player as Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid. Bottom line though, you put him with LeBron, And he can cover some of those weaknesses. Mm -hmm. His winning impact is so massive in all of these other areas of the game that it kind of unlocks that. And, like, the reality is, is he is with LeBron. And so we can talk all we want about these different varying factors, but... If the Lakers happen to end up the eighth seed because they lose to Minnesota in the first play-in game and then beat OKC in the second play-in game and they head up to Denver for game one, it's not like Jokic gets to look at Embiid and go like, hey, I'm better than you. It doesn't matter. He is with LeBron. And that means in that series, he's going to have LeBron in as his teammate, which means he's going to be able to impact winning in that context. And to me, that's what makes him such a terrifying playoff player. But again, you're, all your points are completely fair and we are splitting hairs at a certain point here. Number four, Joel Embiid. The big things that I worry about with him are basically just the same things that I worry about with Jokic defensively, foot speed and defensive versatility, getting lost in transition or getting pulled away from the rim. That, that actually became a problem consistently in the playoffs last year. Uh, him giving up straight line drives when he get uh, got pulled out to the perimeter, particularly in semi-transition when he was uh, kind of away from the rim. But this is the modern day version of Shaq, in my opinion, in terms of in terms of just the way that he warps the defense from the center position, you cannot guard him in single coverage anymore. He's so deadly with that damn pull up jump shot at 15 feet that it forces defenders to come up on him. And he's so damn big and strong that when he goes to those rip through moves, it just, he's going to win that confrontation 100% of the time. It is, he has reached a point in proficiency as a jump shooter that he is a huge problem now. Just a yeah. gigantic problem. And so, like he it, in terms of a player that consistently dictates double teams and causes you to have to completely fundamentally change the way you defend, I actually think he's one of the most, he's one of the most imposing, like game plan changing players on this list. And then again, for what you want to say about his defensive versatility, he is an outstanding rim protector, in my opinion, especially here in this last couple of months. Um, so I have mb beat at four right now.
1: I totally get it. I think Embiid is a different version of himself than we've ever seen before because of how incredibly proficient he's been as a jump shooter and also because I think the other dimension to his game that's been unlocked is the pick-and-roll game. I mean, a couple years ago, we never really saw Embiid run much pick-and-roll at all. He didn't have a great pick-and-roll ball handler. Now he does in James Harden, and he's gotten so good at that free-throw line jumper and everything that feeds off of that, getting to the rim, getting to the line, that he's the... Highest scoring pick and roll player in the league when you're talking about role men. So I do think this is the best NBA that we've ever seen. That being said, I think his playoff resume is easily the weakest of anybody in this top 10. And I don't think that we discussed that enough. We have consistently seen his decision making playmaking fall apart in the playoffs. assists per game to 3.4 turnovers in his playoff career, Jason. And yes, he's a better playmaker decision maker than we've ever seen him be, but he's still probably the weakest out of this entire group there. And he will see a lot of doubles. And so he has to consistently make the right reads there or else some of his value is going to diminish. We've seen him struggle as a shot maker. He has not been the same jump shooter finisher in the playoffs under 47% from the field under 30% from three. We've seen him struggle to get to the line. His Free throw attempts from the regular season to the playoffs have gone down by basically two a game in these last two postseasons, which makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of foul baiting. You just don't get that in the same way in the playoffs. And then we've seen his health fall apart every single time that Philly's been to the second round. He's missed a game. And on top of the game that he's missed, right, he's been playing with some sort of injury, probably at some point in some of those surrounding games and just in a lot of do or die situations and a lot of those series where Philly has a talent advantage. He's fallen apart. He was bad last year versus the Heat with an orbital fracture, sure. But under 20 a night, 43% from the field, 26% from three, more turnovers than assists. Year before that was the disappointing loss for the Hawks. Year before, or yeah, year before that, they just got swept by the Celtics. Year before that, they got uh he was terrible against the Raptors. So I think this is the best version of Embiid ever, but I do think he needs to prove it. And I do think the archetype of I can lift everybody offensively is more valuable than Embiid's. I will be this dominant scorer when he hasn't been a dominant scorer in the playoffs. And I do agree with you. In a playoff setting, you play against a great pull-up jump shooting team. You play against a team that's going to involve him in a lot of pick and roll, and he's got to cover a lot of ground. I do think that his defensive value is not what some people might expect it to be because he is a slower, plodding guy. So I'm lower on Embiid than the consensus for this. I just think the LeBron, the Kawhi, the Luca tears, those guys, we've seen it offensively. And Embiid has been better than any of them this year. But I just have faith in what we've seen on this playoff stage a bit more. So I had Embiid at eight when I did my rank.
0: Wow! Yeah, e- ev- everything you say about Embiid's playoff resume is real and true, in my opinion. Um, however, I actually think he is not just the best version of himself now. I think Embiid is considerably better than he was last year. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe, but like I-, I, I noticed this in my own basketball development as I was growing up. But like, it doesn't happen linearly like you take leaps like you figure things out and you take leaps there's like a like it almost happens overnight sometimes when something clicks for you in a specific area of your skill set and it's like oh suddenly like this makes sense to me now and i can do this at a higher level i actually think mb legitimately has taken a leap up to the next like tier of superstardom in this season and so everything you're saying about his playoff resume is true But I want to see if he can do it this year. I I want to kind of give him the opportunity to prove that he's improved. Um, Number three, and I actually think this guy has been arguably the best player I've seen this season when he's been healthy. But I'm tossing uh, um, just basically the... I'm giving essentially leeway to the two guys in front of him based on their championship pedigree in recent years. But at number three, I have Kevin Durant. I think... Uh obviously he's having I believe the best pull-up jump shooting season in the history of the league. Um and, and not maybe not in terms of uh, effective field goal percentage compared to some of the three-point hunters, but in terms of like dynamic three-level pull-up shooting or two-level pull-up shooting I should say, it's the best in the history of the league by far. Um as someone tweeted out last night, uh, KD himself tweeted out. He's shooting over 60% on twos, 40% on threes, 90 90% on uh free throws. It's unbelievable. Um, he's actually having an incredibly underrated playmaking season. It's one of the, it's one of the biggest things that I think is misrepresented about Kevin Durant's game is, uh, he's kind of portrayed as a scorer that can't pass, but he's other than maybe Giannis, um, a lot of these top tier forwards, he's a much better passer than Tatum. He's a much better passer, uh, than Kawhi Leonard. Like, like KD is a legitimate playmaker. The only real weakness with Kevin Durant is he does not get to the rim. And so that kind of limits him in terms of reaching a ceiling in playmaking that you have to, that you have to apply consistent rim pressure to get and then he can be dependent on his pull-up jump shot going in which it almost always does but we have seen it not and it's absolutely a risk cuz here's the reality Kevin Durant was awesome last year in the regular season too and then he ran into Boston those shots stopped falling next thing you know they were out of the playoffs in four games so i i i I want to cut him some slack. It's one week of basketball, but that I think is the thing that kind of holds him back from that. KD I think has never definitively been the best player in the league. And I believe that is a result of the fact that he does rely on jump shooting, pull up jump shooting to have that top tier impact while some of the guys around him have impact uh, uh, while some of the guys around him aren't as reliant on pull up jump shooting as he is.
1: That's interesting. I would say, though, that I think that ever since he arrived in Golden State, with the exception of last year, KD has been an exceptional playoff performer. And I think that, honestly, 2019 and then 2021 in Brooklyn, those were the two best playoff versions of KD that I have ever seen. Like, just an unstoppable scoring level in that series against the Clippers, for example, in 2019. And then in that series against the Bucs, the level of complete offensive engine that he was, scoring and playmaking, just dominant. I mean, across those two playoffs he's over 33 a night on 51 42 89 splits it's just I do believe that he is largely unstoppable and last year was weird I do not think that that is a replicable result I think there is a completeness with him offensively where he elevates any team so immediately in the NBA we've already seen it in Phoenix he just comes in and he's like yeah I'll shoot 65 percent from and the we're floor undefeated. <laughs> and we're undefeated and I'll do so much off ball and to me, he's the top-two scorer of all time. He has been a great playmaker this year, as you said, and he's had the best defensive year of his career, probably. And I think that that is the distinction. When I'm comparing him to Steph and Jokic, the other guys in my top four, those guys are better offensive players, in my opinion, because there is a more complete impact. There is what we've already talked about, Steph elevating everybody with his mere presence. Jokic's genius playmaking. But the reality is both those guys, in their own ways, can be exploited defensively. And KD, in a role that he has played for a majority of this year, that secondary rim protector can be a very impactful, positive defensive player while being the best score alive and being able to play so many roles offensively, dominant pick and roll, dominant isolation, dominant catch and shooter. And so I really, really value that. I value how consistently we've seen it from him. And I think this is the best KD that we've ever seen. So I have him at number two on my list.
0: Again, like he could just as easily be one for me. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you're right. 2022 was an anomaly. That's a fact, but he, it, it can happen. Like mm-hmm. that's like, it's here's the thing. Pull up jump shots are the most difficult shot in basketball. That's just a fact. He's the best at them, but really good physical defense can disrupt his base. And we've seen him uh, it, again. It had been a very long time, but we did see him run into pull up jump shooting problems relatively often from 2013 to 2016. We did. And then he had this stretch where he was excellent. And then we saw that anomaly again last year. Again, you can make a case for him to to have him at number one. I'm not, I don't think there's a player on this list. That's perfect for the record. Uh, The last guy I would have put on this list that was perfect was 2018 LeBron. He had every box checked resounding. There was not a weakness in his game. Every guy on this list has a weakness now. That's, That's kind of the difference in my opinion. And that's why LeBron's the second best player to ever pick up a basketball. But number two, I have Steph Curry. And again, there's the, the gravity thing sometimes gets overplayed because people want to prop stuff up in some ways. And th- that, that is a fact. But it is real. It, as is always the case, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Like, like all superstars dictate multiple defenders. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just a fact. So sometimes, like portraying Steph as the only guy that does that, I I don't think is is a accurate representation of the of reality. But what makes Steph's defensive attention so unique is that it pulls multiple defenders away from the basket. We talk a lot about basketball efficiency, right? And oh, like a quality three-point shot, you know, even an average three-point shot is better than a quality 15-footer because sheer math, right? But what's the most efficient shot in basketball? A layup. And even on Steph's bad shooting nights, he is constantly pulling multiple defenders away from the rim and creating opportunities around the basket. And those opportunities are extremely high percentage opportunities. That's why I think even though Jokic you you think Jokic is the best offensive player in the league, I still think Steph is. And I think he and I would I think you would agree that Steph has been the most dynamic offensive player or best offensive player of this era in terms of like the total picture. Absolutely. The the only thing that really holds him back, again, is his physical tools. And to his credit, he's bigger and stronger than people think. He's six foot three. He spends a a lot of time in the weight room. He's well-built. But at the end of the day, he cannot impact the game with his size and strength the way that guys like Giannis and Kevin Durant and LeBron James and Jason Tatum and Kawhi Leonard and even Joel Embiid can. And and, and the, the, those sorts of that sort of thing, I think, as, as always, held Steph back just a little bit. But it's irrelevant. The dude's a four-time championship champion, champion yeah. and he's won a title as the best player twice. And I, I gave him the nod over KD here, quite simply because I am such a big believer in applying applying the appropriate respect to an NBA champion. He went into Boston, the most talented roster in the league last year, down two games to one on the road. And he killed those guys. And, and there's just, there's just, there might be three or four guys on that list that we're doing today that are even capable of that. Mm -hmm. And, And to me, and to me that, that resulted in the trophy and that needs to be paid the appropriate amount of respect. I have him at number two.
1: One of the things that I think is really funny about just the evolution of skill in today's NBA, and I was just thinking about this the other day, is when we talk about peak Steph, a lot of people probably still go to 2016, right? Unanimous MVP, this efficiency we'd never seen. Steph has so clearly been better these last three years at basketball than he was then. If you want to talk about relative to the competition, that's fine. But absolutely, right? He's stronger. uh, He's had these unbelievable pull-up jump shooting seasons last year not on the regular season, but last year's playoffs was the most impressive individual run we've ever seen from him on that stage because he elevated this team that didn't have another consistent offensive star to be great offensively in the playoffs. We talk about their defensive foundation all the time. They were a better playoff offense last year. They were fourth than a playoff defense where they were sixth. And so they've always had that two-way formula, but Steph has always been the offensive player foundation that makes them brilliant year in year out so I will not push back against Steph being number two for you again to me I slightly lean Katie just because Steph as much as he has improved defensively and worked on that it's like you said if you're not an exceptional defender at 6-3 with the level of switching that we see in today's NBA you can be attacked you can be exploited and so it's not a strength for him uh whereas for Katie it can be but His playoff resume is so underrated. He's consistently been great on that stage. One of the most prolific and efficient playoff scorers ever. And it's so much beyond that, elevating the offense. I agree with you. Obviously, every star is attracting multiple defenders, but I don't know who has reshaped an entire defensive approach, every single possession, just by being on the court like Steph. So I think he's up there for the greatest offensive engine of all time, and I think he's as good as he's ever been. So I think he belongs in this top 3 at the very least and that's where I have him at 3.
0: Yeah, and 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 it's similar to LeBron, his bad games carry so much impact as a result of that. But yeah. you're right, there's there's a limited the best way I could describe the Steph Curry defense thing is like it's not a good option to attack him because he is a good defensive player, but it's a much better option to attack him than anybody else on the floor. Right. And so what ends up happening? They target Steph. And yeah. and and, and it's just it's it's just it's just a ceiling so to speak that that kind of caps him from reaching Mm -hmm. like that that next level but to me it's like such a testament to his greatness because to put it simply how many guys that we consider to be top seven eight nine players in the nba are are not supreme athletes none of them except for steph he's the one guy who overcame What And what's crazy is compared to other humans, he's a freak athlete, like literally a freak athlete with great size. Like he's probably what 98th percentile for men on planet earth and height, but it just doesn't matter because in the NBA, they're all like that. Right. But, uh, um, but yeah, I have him at number two, number one, deserving, in my opinion, Giannis, uh, unbelievable, relentless rim pressure. I think he's the best passing wing in the league other than LeBron and Luka. Defensive versatility, the, his ability to protect the rim um, as a primary rim protector and pick and roll, while also devastating teams as the low man guarding the weak side corner and blowing up plays behind Brooke Lopez um, and his ability to switch out onto most of the wings in the league. And he actually does okay on guards as well. Uh, I, I believe that that in combination um, with just the way that his game translates to this phase, And the fact that as the level of physicality increases, his advantages increase as it becomes more and more like football and a little bit less like basketball. The only weakness you can really, you can really uh, attack with him is his over the top shot making. And I, I, he's actually regressing a little bit in that regard. Um, but it's just kind of like the Anthony Davis thing. Like, they have Chris Middleton, although Chris Middleton uh, just received an MRI and is going to have to like that. We haven't talked about that and we'll probably get into it, Carson, um, the next time we talk when we start focusing more on the playoffs. But that Chris Middlet- Middleton knee injury is very significant because, you know, kind of coming into that Celtics win the other uh, like a week or so ago, we were kind of you and Milwaukee as kind of separating themselves and then they tailed off a little bit, and now Chris Middleton's hurt, and now things feel more open than they've ever felt in the NBA, which is kind of why everyone's kind of coming back around towards Boston because, you know, it's like they're the most talented team. Uh, mm-hmm. But the reality of the basketball predicament is is Giannis does have Chris Middleton. He does have Drew Holiday. He does have Joe Ingles. And so they don't need him to be an over-the-top shot maker in order to succeed, and so even if you want to look at him in the face and say, "Yeah, well, I'm better than you at this specific thing," within the context of team basketball on the Bucks and the way that they cover for his weaknesses, nobody in the NBA impacts winning on both ends of the floor the way uh, Giannis does right now.
1: I think that you're absolutely right, and there's a couple key differences, in my opinion, between this Giannis and the version of Giannis that we could see exploited, right? Like we saw teams that were built similarly to Boston to stop Giannis with these great variety of wing defenders who you could build the wall with and you could really challenge him. We saw it in Toronto and they beat him and we saw it in Miami and they beat him. And then Boston beat him, but not really. I mean, without Middleton going seven, Giannis was (laughs) unstoppable for many stretches of that series. And the keys are his playmaking development, and I agree with you, the addition of like a Drew Holiday presence. And now you can't really even say that that inability as a perimeter shot maker holds him back from being number one when he is so physically dominant, very good as a playmaker, and I think right up there for the best defensive player alive and so versatile on that end. It's like the guy walks into 31, 12, and 6 efficiently and will wreck the game defensively. It's really, really tough to say that anybody else is, is better than that, has a higher baseline than that because of the just physical imposition and the defensive floor and ceiling that he has every single night. So Giannis, to me, also has to be number one.
0: Yeah, so one last thing I want to shout out with Giannis before we get out of here. he He's kind of figuring out the pacing himself elements now, too. This has always been one of the most underrated parts of LeBron James's career. And he gets criticized a lot for it. And it makes sense because it's like, yeah, like if you're voting for MVP and he's kind of mailing it in on two, like uh, two thirds of the nights and, you know, so like Giannis in 2020 is just attacking every game. Like it's his last game. You know, I I get that within the context of awards, but what part of the genius there for LeBron is he's like, dude, I got a two month grind ahead of me. You know, and that two month grind, I'm going to need to be at my best physically. And I think Giannis, like, th- I love the way he approached this season. He kind of had like a baseline gear, which was still arguably the best player in the world um, during the first two thirds of the season. And then here in the last third, he's like, all right, guys, time to pick it up a little bit. And he's been good. for Like, he's just been utterly bludgeoning teams really ever yeah. since. And and I, And I think that's a testament to just how he's kind of grown um as he's become more experienced but that's all we have for today guys shout out to Carson thanks for coming by to chat through the list we are going to be back tomorrow morning breaking down the this Friday night slate and then we'll be back on Sunday evening with the great Colin Coward and then we'll get into some stuff on Monday breaking in the playing games and then hey from there from Tuesday we're going every night (laughs) until until the NBA finals when when we'll start having uh, fewer games but Um, I appreciate you guys rocking with us and we will see you tomorrow morning. The volume.